Good morning, church. Man, it's been a wonderful morning where everything's gone smooth, and you just love those. You treasure them, <clears throat> probably, I hear. Oh, we don't always get what we want sometimes. We have to just live with what's there. So if you're watching online and there's a big black screen and a tiny little video in the corner, consider yourself lucky that the video is just small in the corner. I'm not much to look at. Uh, but yeah, sorry about the slides. We'll just restart everything this week, and next week should be back to normal. Uh, we'll be wrapping, or we took last week kind of off from our sermon series, being Christmas, and talked about the Christmas story specifically. And you know, we, we speak a lot about what to do at Christmas time, right? Um, I don't know if anyone's ever heard the term C and E Christians, right? But Christmas and Easter, the folks that come in that we don't ever see, and they pop in for Christmas and Easter, and uh, and kind of punch their card for coming to church. And um, while it's great to get to see people at any time, it, it feels sometimes like perhaps the, the, the church may lend itself to that behavior by turning Christmas and Easter into something that's really, really exciting, and the rest of it very, very boring. <laughs> so our goal is to make every week very, very exciting in that it's going to be God's Word, which is very exciting. So Christmas time this year, we decided let's just keep going with our Normal sermon series will take a quick detour for Christmas to talk about the birth of Christ, which is obviously very, very important. It's driven a great deal of what we're talking about here. But as we toggle back, the alignment of this is very interesting. It's, I think, very easy for us to celebrate Jesus' birth and have an exciting moment about what he did, how it all began. Um, but let us not stop there, right? Let's understand what he did throughout his life, what he did when he died on the cross, and what began to happen inside his church after his death and resurrection. So as we jump right back in and start talking about spiritual gifts, you're thinking, man, alive. Uh, was there even a Christmas sermon? There was. It was last week. You can check it out. And the slides worked as well. But for today, we'll be in, back in 1 Corinthians in 14. We'll be looking at the first half of 14 uh, with another focus on spiritual gifts. So if you've got your Bible, feel free to follow along. If you don't and you're here, it's on the screen. If you're not at home, uh, get a Bible or you can just listen. So 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so, th so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? 
I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in position, in the position of an outsider, say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Let's pray. Lord, a challenging scripture once again. We see Paul trying to communicate uh, in, in very clear terms in some regards, but perhaps easily misinterpreted terms, what it is to speak in tongues, what it is to be spiritual, what the point of spiritual gifts are, what the point of doing spiritual things in this, in this earth, what, what that point is, Lord. Help us to understand exactly what your word says. Help us not to bring our preconceived understandings or notions or desires into the scripture and try to read it into our lives, Lord. Help us to set all that aside. Help us to, to come to this scripture and know that it is clear in and of itself, and it does not require us uh, to have intrinsic knowledge or understanding or bend it to fit a, a narrative that we think we understand, Lord. When it comes to the things of the Spirit, Lord, help us to lean on you completely and entirely. Senior sons, I may pray. Amen. So I call the 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 sermon, so you want to speak in tongues, right? Um, and it's, the, the thought process here is most everybody desires to be spiritual, especially if you're a believer. Like, I want to do spiritual things. I want to do things that are of the Spirit for God. What could I do? And maybe speaking in tongues is one of those things I should do. And if you talk to different people in different denominations of Christianity, you'll hear many different answers about speaking in tongues, Tongues and beyond. So this chapter is really intriguing to me. I'll disclose that. I think hearing Paul talk about this sounds so frank. Um, and he is talking about tongues. So I don't want to make this sound like, well, this is just a general thing about all spiritual gifts. It, it, it is. Uh, but he is talking about tongues. He's using it as a concrete example, not just a pure uh, metaphor. It isn't like he's trying to compare uh, spiritual gifts to the wind. He's talking about a spiritual gift, and that is speaking in tongues. But the style of writing indicates that it's more than that. His, his position here on tongues is what his position is on tongues, but his position on tongues extends generally to any gift of the Spirit. He's comparing it to prophecy, but this thought process applies to any spiritual gift. If you take any two spiritual gifts and which one's going to be the most effective, we'll seek that out. Paul's making a clear delineation for us, but there's a lot of things that we could be gifted spiritually. And the question always is going to come back to, why am I doing this? What is the purpose of this spiritual gift? So why speaking in tongues? 
Why is Paul talking about this? Why did he pick this one? And we could say, it's just luck. Well, it's not. We know that, right? This word of God is divinely breathed. This is, this is interesting in that it's the same reason we talk about it today. <laughs> Paul's addressing it. It was and is an external indication of spirituality. In these times when people were speaking in tongues, people would say, ooh, the Spirit's moving. That's a spiritual gift. We know what that indicates. The Spirit's indwelling. Look at it go. Mankind, however, loves to measure everything. Everything. How many baptisms? How many members? How many seats do you have? How high is the ceiling? How tall is your steeple? How many parking spots do you have? When was it paved last? How? Over and over. We, we want to rank everything that we see. But maybe the more, thus, the more you speak in tongues, the more spiritual you are. That's an easy measurement. Who here has spoken in tongues? Raise your hands, count them up. Is it more today than it was last week? Yeah, good. Then let's cross that off. We've got the spirit moving in our body because we've seen the external indicators of it. This is a problem in today's world. With speaking in tongues and others, it's very easy to emulate this. Paul knows this all too well. What's interesting about Paul's tactic here is he's not calling them fakes, but he starts off in a great place. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. I love this sentence so much. Pursue love, earnestly desire. So when you desire to speak in tongues in earnest, it would indicate that you understand why you would speak in tongues to begin with. (laughs) An earnest desire for a new vehicle means you've weighed the options of your current vehicle and what's available out there, and you've come to the conclusion that this is the right thing for me to do. I've weighed it, and my current car is found wanting, and I'm going to pursue earnestly a new vehicle for myself. Same here. I want a spiritual gift. I want to speak in tongues. Do I just desire it to look cool? That's not earnest. No, no, I need to understand why I would speak in tongues, which is exactly what Paul is going to get to. Paul does an excellent job of having a, a, a thesis statement that sums up his passages very nicely. Nicely is probably an understatement there, but in this case, perfectly. If you start your pursuit of a spiritual gift with love and earnest desire, you are starting in the right place. We don't often do that. A lot of times we might not even care about love, and we're pursuing it so that we can check off a box. We want to look good. I've done the things I need to do, get off my back about my spirituality. I spoke in tongues. I went into baptistry. I did this. I did my first communion. I did any number of things. All these external gifts. What do you need me to emulate? I'll do it so that you'll leave me alone. That's not loving, and it's not an earnest desire. But Paul continues here and says, especially that you may prophesy. Prophecy here, and when we talk about prophecy, or, or the word prophesy in this usage, it would probably be better translates as to teach with the divine counsel. Now, we could put that in there, but it, 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 anyway, prophesy is the word that, that is used. But it, it isn't necessarily prophesy as in uh, we should all be uh, talking about the future. Like, here's what's going to happen. We already know what's going to happen. It's not that kind of prophesy. This is the idea of uh, it, it, when we were going through uh, other chapters, there was a, a moment when, when Jesus was addressing the, the Pharisees, and people were muttering this. He's teaching with authority. That was unheard of. He, he, he's got some degree of authority that's beyond himself. That's kind of what this is about. To teach with authority, with divine counsel, the idea that God is actually behind the words you're teaching would require God to be in the midst. Paul's saying, but what Paul is saying here is that is a better gift than speaking in tongues, because that is going to clearly communicate the Word of God 
to whoever needs to hear it. So what is the difference? And these are Paul's words, right? Speaking in tongues, especially if nobody understands, is only going to be heard by God. Now you might say, well, faking speaking in tongues, that might not even be heard by God. That's fine. Paul's not talking about fakers. I don't think he's getting into people that are emulating spirituality. These are people that are trying to speak in tongues, thinking that this is an important spiritual gift. And they are, they, are, they are legitimately in their mind babbling nonsense, thinking that this is tongues, that's a language that they don't understand, and God does. Paul's giving them some credit here. If that's true, the reality is only God's hearing what they're saying, right? If I shamala hamala up here for an hour or two, and I do it with the de- desire that what I'm saying is something miraculous, okay, then maybe it is to God. That's what Paul's saying. However, nobody understands what I'm saying, not even me. It's literally only for God. And Paul's saying, okay, that's fine. However, there's that gift. Prophesying, on the other hand, speaks useful, holy information to people. It's very clear. If I teach Scripture up here to the best of my ability, using words that we all understand for the most part, I kind of know what I'm saying. Hopefully you guys start to piece together what I'm saying. And people come to an understanding of the Scripture. Unknown tongues are for the speaker himself. And prophesying builds the church. You might say, well, I thought we just said it was for God. That's true. But what we know is if we start counting that as for God, and that's good, then what we, we end up doing is putting a, a mark in our column. Oh, wow, very, very holy. I heard, him, I heard him pray in tongues for six hours. I mean, incredibly spiritual. And Paul's saying, I don't know about that. Maybe it is useful for him. But if he's about building himself up by speaking in tongues, be very, very careful. Because what comes next? Not a big interest in helping those around him. More looking good. Feeling good about myself and my spiritual attitude. Prophesying, on the other hand, builds the church. When you share the good news of Christ to people who don't know the good news of Christ, Christ starts working and draws them into the church. Now there's new members for the church. Like we talked about before, new body parts. We can do things maybe we couldn't do before. Now we can run at faster speeds because we have fully formed legs because Christ has built that up. Prophesying does that. Speaking in tongues does not. And you might say, sure, but it's really kind of hard. I mean, we say one's better than the other, but once again, don't take my word for it. This is Paul. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. What's really funny about that statement is if I speak in tongues and somebody interprets what I said, now it's prophesying. (laughs) If If I were to say something in a nonsense language, and somebody could accurately interpret that into a language everybody understood, what they're going to interpret is hopefully the Word of God right, rightly divided. My speaking in tongues was a vehicle to proper prophecy, teaching correctly with divine authority. Speaking in tongues where nobody interprets is noise. Now to be real clear, Paul's not against speaking in tongues, and nor am I. I'm not opposed to people speaking in tongues, but he and I are wary of people speaking in tongues, and nobody knows what's being said. Right? Just a bunch of phonetic sounds and there's nobody there that's going to be able to interpret that into the Word of God. Or if they interpret it into something that has to do with like tree worship or uh, a, 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 a specific date that the end of the world's going to occur, that's counter-scriptural. That cannot be prophecy. It can't be godly prophecy. Prophesying, though, that's something Paul is... He wants for everybody. If you're going to speak in tongues, could you do it? Sure. Could it be great for the kingdom? Sure. A few people probably need to do it, especially when you're coming across 
people from other countries that you don't speak to. Um, if you talk to folks that have done mission work, you can hear some stories about like, yeah, there was, it was a weird moment where I don't really remember speaking Spanish, and, but I think I did. Or, and, but it wasn't like I went out and I began to speak a third language that it was, I just stepped off the plane and spoke fluent Greek when I was in Greece. And it was a miracle. No, it just becomes this in the moment. The Spirit begins to move and can give you the power to speak in a language you, don't need to, you didn't even know you knew. And they understood it somehow. Could it have been some weird tertiary holy language that both parties miraculously understood, even though none had spoken a part of that? Sure. But those aren't the stories that we hear a lot, and they're not the stories that we see when we talk about speaking in tongues. It's very, very rare that that's the case. Prophesying, though, you know when it's right. If I come up here and I say things that are not are, are counter to the Word of God, I'm incorrect. There's no guesswork that what I said was good or bad. It's very, very clear. And then Paul uses some music analogies, which I love. Lifeless instruments. These are named by Paul. Strings and woodwinds. Ooh, that's hashtag scripture. Once again, not my words. Paul said, lifeless strings such as harps and flutes. I'm kidding, of course. But in all seriousness, though, Paul's point that instruments that don't do their job well can't communicate either. If, if, if I've got an instrument and it plays all the notes at once and I can't single it out, then I can't really do a good job of crafting a tune with that. If every time I pluck one string on the harp, they all resonate, it's a mess every time. There's no melody, there's no harmony, there's no meter, there's nothing. It just becomes noise. Speaking in unintelligible ways is pointless. As pointless as playing every note on the piano every time you sit down. Nobody wants to hear it. Now, could I do that and turn it into some weird artistic thing? Sure, I could. But wouldn't it be much more effective to find a massive appeal for playing the piano? I think we would argue that's true because when we sit up here in the morning, Leah doesn't put her leg up on the piano and mash all the keys down during worship. We'd all be like, what is going on? Stop that. Well, no, no. There's a few people that will like this. That's true. But the, the, the easiest way to do this is not... The, 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 who would that serve? The player. I'm doing something interesting and awesome. I play all the keys every time. Really neat. Anyway, next. That's what starts to happen when we get caught up in these spiritual gifts for our own benefit. Paul knows the world has many languages. So, so to, to make this very, very, very uh, clear, there are many languages in the world around us, right? We're not going to deny that there aren't tongues, per se. But the focus isn't speaking the language, it's sharing the gospel. If you desire to speak in tongues because you've always wanted to speak Spanish, that's not the place to be in your earnest desire for speaking in tongues. Your desire is, I'm going to a place where Spanish is spoken and Lord, I need to communicate the gospel in full clarity. I, I need a miracle. That miracle is speaking in tongues. And it may happen. It may be that you don't get the gift of tongues. But somebody in that culture that speaks a little bit of English begins to interpret for you. So to them, to them, you're speaking in tongues. One of the most powerful sermons I ever heard in my life was from a Spanish-speaking pastor. And there was a, an American that spoke fluent Spanish that stood beside him, and he would speak a sentence, and he would translate a sentence at a time. And it wasn't flawless. He would say some things, and the guy's like, eh, I guess the well, best way to say it would be da, 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 right? But the, hearing that, the, the gospel was very clearly communicated. It was miraculous. 
that he was saying something in another language and this other person was able to turn it into English and communicate the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that was awesome. Just awesome. You don't need to speak a foreign language to have other people think you're speaking in tongues. If I stroll off an airplane and I speak English and somebody there speaks English and they begin to translate, lo and behold, it's what we see in the Bible. <laughs> somebody began to say something and somebody else began to interpret. It's happening. You're speaking in tongues from their perspective, but that's not necessarily what we want. We want to speak in a language foreign to us and then we feel spiritual. And Paul's saying, careful with that. What we see here in the next chunk of Scripture is he begins to translate this into praying in tongues. Right? If I'm praying to God in tongues, okay, well, it's God and he understands it. Well, what's the point? Out loud? In nonsense? Am I trying to secret, keep my prayers secret? If I don't understand my own prayers, then I'm disengaged mentally. If what I'm doing is just I'm going to stand up and just make a bunch of sounds and say that that's a prayer to God, somebody says, what would you say? And I say, hey, I don't even know. That was the Spirit praying through me to God. You see a lot of examples of that in Scripture. God doesn't need prophecy. As he's not required to be taught. He knows everything. This might seem like a silly thing, but mind over spirit. You know, Paul's not discounting the spirit being autonomous. Our spirit is a thing. And our spirit can be ministered to and we can minister to others. Paul is cautioning against relying on our spirit alone. If we get caught up in this spiritual thing, we're like, I don't even need to. It's, it's, it's my spirit communing with God through prayer in other languages. We start to venture very quickly into an area that's super dangerous. There's no accountability there. We don't see a lot of scriptural backing for this. You move into this territory of golden dust and, and angel wings that are only perceived by me and stuff like that. Like, well, I don't, I don't know. Okay, but it's, it's hard to refute it, I guess. I don't see support for it in scripture, but not necessarily full tilt condemnation, which is why bullet three is here. This is tricky stuff. I'm not going to be able to say that somebody that prays in tongues is not praying in the spirit. I can't say that. Paul's not saying that. But he's saying, careful, because if you're doing that, and you don't know why you're doing it, and you don't know what you're saying, and your mind's wandering around, you're just, what's going on here? If all spiritual gifts were given for the common good, then we should remember that. And we just studied that, well, two weeks ago now. All spiritual gifts are for the common good. So Paul's saying, use your head and your heart. Pray with your mind and your spirit. Pray in a way that if you're praying out loud, others can be built up. If I'm giving thanks to God, I'm giving thanks to God for his son and his work on the cross and redemption and reconciliation. These words mean something to the people I'm praying with. If nobody knows what you're saying, they can't agree or disagree. They can't refute. They couldn't correct or admonish. If I prayed to God and thanked him for, you know, the ability to fly that I know is forthcoming, I would expect somebody to come over and say, hey, you know, how do you know you're going to be flying soon? I don't know, the Spirit told me, like, well, let's pop the brakes on that and talk about that. But if I was praying in tongues, I might think, well, nobody corrected me in tongues, so it must be okay. Once again, not my words. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Now, Paul's giving a lot of credit here. Once again, talking a lot about tongues. But he's saying, that's a legit prayer. That's a legit prayer. You may think that he's not a fan of tongues, and then comes 19. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul's a huge fan of speaking in tongues. They are useful. He was up against it at a time here where there was a lot of people that didn't speak the languages that the Christians spoke. And how are we going to get out there? How are they going to know? Right? Today we've got Google Translate. We have lots of materials that we can use to translate and turn words into other words. Even if I don't speak the language, I could probably get pretty close. But in this time, you come across a people group and, and they're speaking something like, I, 
I mean, who's going to interpret? Nobody from your people group has ever heard this language of mine, and nobody from my people group has ever heard your language. And I'm going to tell you the good news. God, what are we going to do? And then, whew, light a fire above the head, new tongue spoken, and other people from this. Oh my gosh, I understand what he's saying. I didn't know he spoke our language. And the person speaking says, I didn't either. I don't even know what I said to you. But there was a need for that. There was no way to communicate with them without tongues. If you want the biggest reason that tongues are probably largely depressed as a spiritual gift, it's because we aren't required to use them very often. Unreached people groups? Sure. Will I, would I imagine people speak in tongues there? Yes. But if I go down to Mexico, I don't need to speak in tongues. There's a million interpreters and resources. I can learn Spanish for crying out loud. I have the ability to do it. So to rely on God to do that and say, well, that's okay. And when you see people speaking in tongues today, it's no surprise that they're quite often not speaking in languages spoken on earth. They're just saying languages that they say are divine. But we, there's no real need for that. And Paul's warning against that. And it summarizes here, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Five versus 10,000. It's kind of hyperbolic, right? But I could think of five words. If we all stop and you start to think of the five words you'd say to somebody, if you could. If God said, I'm going to give you five words that everybody on earth is going to understand no matter what language they speak, what do you want to say? That's what Paul's getting at. Well, that's, a, that's an opportunity. What, what are the five? Let's start thinking through them. I want to be thoughtful about that. Or I'll give you 10,000 words in a tongue that no one's going to understand. Well, then who cares? <laughs> Nobody understands it. I could say whatever I want. I could read War and Peace. Be done with it. Wow, it must have been very spiritual. But if I have five words that everybody understands, they better be good. I got to get my mind engaged. The mind that God gave and grew in me. I'm using this. The spiritual gift of tongues is great, but it's not for us. It's for God. Tongues are useful until they aren't. There's a time for them, but they're still for sharing good news to unbelievers. They are not, and never were an indicator that we're spiritual or saved, heaven forbid. Now, there's some folks right now that will vehemently disagree with me. That's not true. We expect everybody in our church to speak in tongues. That's how we know. And I'd say, how do you know? I can speak in tongues right now, uh, by that measure. I could just say anything that I want, and any, I could start putting sounds together and call it a day. Check, easy. Too easy in some regards. What's it tell you? Nothing. But if you said, tell me the story of Jesus Christ, now you're going to figure out real quick if I know what I'm talking about. Jesus who? <laughs> I don't know what you just said in tongues, but clearly it couldn't have been the good news of Christ because you don't even know who he is. Outside of the purpose for which they were intended, any spiritual gift, I will say, is effectively useless. Now, you could, you could showboat all day. I have a spiritual gift of, of serving others. Okay. If the intent is to serve others for the gospel of Christ, that's great. But if I serve others by over-serving them at a bar and then they go get in car crashes, would we say that was a spiritual? I don't think so. Well, my gift is serving. And I served all night until we closed the bar. And look at all this stuff. Like, well, you should have stopped. You should have been helping those people out. You shouldn't have served them drugs. You shouldn't have served them food until they were full. You shouldn't have started a website dedicated to how serving you are and have people videotape your service and then show that how I'm serving all these homeless people endlessly. That's not the point of service, to glorify us. 
Service was intended to serve others as a conduit to teach them the good news of Christ. All spiritual gifts were engineered for that. Once again, don't take my word for it. Thus, tongues are not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If somebody knows Scripture and can teach with authority, that's a great sign for believers that this person is probably worth listening to. This person is spiritual. The Holy Spirit is doing work in their lives. This is good, solid teaching. It's effective. Speaking in tongues is not for those folks. Speaking in tongues is for unbelievers. It was intentionally engineered to reach those who don't know that no one else can reach. Thus, if you know the truth, speak the truth. I put those outside the faith will hear tongues and think we are nuts. And some people would, I mean, they'd want me run out of here for that. How dare you? How dare you say that? You're saying if we speak in tongues, they're going to think we're crazy and we're going to be worried about what they think? Say, well, you run, run Paul out. <laughs> you know, once, once again, these, this isn't, this isn't my, my. 1 Corinthians 14, 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? That's Paul's words. He's not pulling punches. He's not saying, hey, they might get the impression, even though I know better. He's saying, they're gonna, they're, they, will they not think? Isn't it logical that if you walk into a room of 20 people saying nonsense that no one amongst them can even understand, that you're going to think they're just crazy? They're just, I don't know what's going on in there, but it doesn't sound like the gospel. I, I stood in there for 20 minutes. I didn't learn anything. But if they hear the truth, if they stand in a room for 20 minutes and they see a bunch of believers hearing somebody speak the truth, a, a rightly divided word of God, they will be convicted. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. If you get convicted, if you hear words and they pierce right to your heart because you can actually understand what's being said, you can be thoughtful about it, it engages you, it convicts you, you realize what they're saying sounds like me, sounds like the condition of my heart, I understand that. I don't... What they're saying to me is, is they're calling me right to the carpet, and I don't like it. What am I going to do about it? I could leave in a huff, or I could say, that is unbelievable how... The example they use resonates so close to my life. If I don't understand a word you say, we are clanging gone, rattling cymbal. I thought this was about more than tongues. Yeah, I've been talking about tongues for a while, but Paul's example applies to any spiritual gift. If you take tongues and sub it up for anything else, serving, teaching, if I come up here and start teaching, and I start teaching away from the Word of God, well, maybe it glorifies me. There's a lot of things I could teach right now that would make me much uh, held in, in a much higher esteem in the world's eyes. I can start teaching that sin's okay. I can start teaching that, that God is really good, and God made us, and God doesn't make bad things, so we're really good. There's plenty of things that I could teach that would make the world say, that's, a, that's the message that I want to hear. That I'm okay. The things I do are generally okay. God doesn't make garbage. And, and thus, the, the decisions I have in my head, even though they might seem like sin, I think they're not because I love God and I love the sin. And, and so I'm just going to square it up. And the pastor said, you name a gift 
And you could take it right away from, from the use of God and use it for ourselves. If it's not done in love and it's not done for God, it's for us and it doesn't build up the church. It may seem to build up a church. There's plenty of health and wealth uh, prophets that have huge churches. You'd say, well, that's incorrect. That church is massive. Eh, it's a church with a small C in quotes, maybe, but they don't know the truth. They're a church of man, worshiping the success and health of man. That's not the church we're talking about here. The church we seek to build up is the church of Jesus Christ, not the church of Chris Eacock or the church of Calvary Heights Baptist. Let this church crumble to the ground if it increases the church of Jesus Christ. I say it honestly. Tongues, though, were a hot-button topic then, and they're still a hot-button topic now. Tongues are an easy one in some regards to, to point at because we still have this very pervasive belief. But it's the same thing for any gift. And if you want to sow, you want to speak in tongues. Sow, you want to teach. Sow, you want to serve kids. Uh, sow, you want to prophesy. Sow, you want to take that and run it through the same gambit. Why do I want to do that? What's the point of that? How am I going to use that? What am I going to do with that? How is it going to glorify God? So four things to consider. Make it real simple. Love others. That's where this chapter starts. Learn the word of God. If you're going to speak in tongues or you're going to prophesy or whatever you're going to do, if you're going to teach with authority, if you do not know the Word of God, you cannot teach the Word of God. Seek spiritual gifts to grow the church, not elevate ourselves. Paul tells us to do this. Seek those things. It's okay to be in prayer over the spiritual gifts, things you'd like to do more of or less of. Seek that. But lastly, and arguably, not, certainly not least, glorify God in everything. Everything you do, all the first three bullets, are about glorifying God, not us. Let's dive into those a little bit. Paul starts the chapter here, and I'll start it here too. Love others. This is, this is very mysterious, the notion of love and how that weighs in on this. It's mysterious to me at least. But we love as commanded and because we were first loved. It's both. We're told to do it, but we were modeled a perfect example. If you start with love, if you start with love, a lot of these other things become painted in a much different light. We must want reconciliation for all people to God. Now, I know, well, hold on, the elect and this and the other. That's true, absolutely. But we didn't see Jesus walking around uh, saying, well, not these groups. I know that they're not elect, so let's go over here. I'm not talking about election right now. What we're called to do is to spread the good news to everybody. When we go and talk to people, the love in our heart turns to pain when we see how far people are from God, and we have a strong desire to see them reconciled, no matter what it costs. Who does the reconciliation? Us? No. But we want it. I want peace in the world. Can I do it single-handedly? Probably not, but I still want it, and I want to work for it. Same with these spiritual gifts. Same with loving others. We start with reconciliation. We must proclaim the truth not to destroy, but to build up. It's not about winning. It's not about beating somebody into submission or scaring them into faith or outwitting them and almost cornering them into belief or something like that. I love to argue and I love to debate and I love to win arguments. It's a terrible way to witness with somebody that's a strong unbeliever. You can, you can win the argument and lose the war, if you will, right? You can get them cornered to where they just throw their hands up. Why? Because they're never going to believe. And the outside, what they see is, is what almost comes across as this combative, militant exercise in, 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 in witnessing and in apologetics, and it's not necessarily a good idea. Now, to each their own, let the Spirit lead, and sometimes 
You may have to really scrap and, and say, no, that's not true, and I'm going to show you why it's not true. But if what we're driven by is winning an argument, you may win the argument, but it is not loving. And you're going to get right in their face and say, I got you. Now you, you better, now you have to accept Jesus. I won the bet. What? But that's, where, that's what it turns into. So we need to approach this with love. I want to see you reconciled to God. I love you. I want you to know Jesus Christ so you can understand the depth of, of, of God's love for us and what he has done. That's where it starts. <clears throat> right after that, learn the word of God. We've talked about counterfeit. There's a million great examples. But no one learns how to detect a counterfeit bill by handling counterfeits. You learn the real money. Learn the word of God. It's pretty hard to teach or prophesy, teach with authority, if you don't know the material. If you don't know what's in the word and someone has questions about the word or they expect a good word from the word, and you're like, well, God so loved the world, he gave his only spot and son, right? Like, what's that mean? Like, well, you know, it's pretty straightforward. You know, Jesus came and he died. Like, he was resurrected? Yeah. So he overcame death? Yeah, by himself? Well, you know, whatever. Where did he go for three days? I don't, I don't, I mean, anyway, you know, like, I'll forget it. You know, obviously there's, you say you believe with all your heart, but you don't know anything, right? Has anybody here ever met a car guy? A car guy. I'm a car guy. Oh, yeah? How many wheels does a car have? Well, I don't know. What do you, what's a 302 mean? I don't know. It's the motor. It's the motor. Yeah, but what's it mean? I don't know. It doesn't matter what it means. All I know is I like 302s. Yeah, but, but how can you say you like 302s and not even know what it means? I don't know. I mean, it's not important what it means. It's important how it makes me feel. I feel good in a 302. So thus the 302 is real to me. That's my truth. Now we've gone way away from Scripture, and the world's going to know. Well, we can do that. We can make stuff up all day about things we like or don't like. And Christ has become a 302 in a lot of people's eyes. I know who Jesus is. Who? He's my friend. He's like my brother, I think, or, 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 or sort of like my dad and my brother. He's like Uncle Dad. Like, this is a horrible word. We're going with this. This makes no sense anymore. Learn the word. It's not about being the smartest, the S, the wittiest, the cleverest. The, that's not what it's about. But it is about when we go into the word, the wonderful thing is as you learn it, it changes you. It's the only thing that does. Well, that's probably not true. There's plenty of other things that can, but that's us changing us. The word of God begins to change us. It changes our mind and our hearts. We start to desire different things. We start to interpret things differently than we did before. Things that were once unclear become clear. It almost seems like a miracle. It is. But the final step is we cannot teach what we don't know, and we can't know if we've never heard. If you do not immerse yourself in the Word, you will not learn the Word. And if you don't learn the Word, you can't know the Word, and you cannot teach the Word if you do not know the Word. You can't do it. Anybody ever try to teach somebody to ride a bike? There's something very similar between faith and riding a bike. I know how to ride a bike. I know a lot of the mechanics of riding a bike. You, the handlebars, and the, and it's, but then there comes this, but it's balance. Teach me how to balance. I, I can't do that. Well, how do I learn it? You'll have to get on the bike, and you will learn to balance or you won't. But I can't do it. And I don't know that you could really work on it too much. I don't know how that works. That is not a perfect example, but it's a very good metaphor. A lot of times when it comes to, hey, why do I bother to learn the word? Well, it's good to know how the brakes function. I want to know the ins and outs of this bicycle. But at some point, they need to get on the bike, and they got to balance. But that doesn't stop you from describing the bike in its entirety, showing them how it can be ridden. Look what happens when you've got your balance. Oh, that's the life I want. I want to balance like you do. Well, get on the bike. 
You've got to teach me. I can't teach you. I can teach you all about the bike, but you've got to get on it. It's not about me. You'll learn to balance without me. I can teach you a lot, but there's a part of this that is absolutely a huge part of it, of course, that is all of God. All of God. But we still got to learn it. Third here, seek spiritual gifts to grow the church, not elevate ourselves. It's not about us. Man, I tell you, it's not about us. I need to get a shirt that says that on it. It is not about us. And I look at it in the mirror and remind myself of it. These gifts were for us to use as a tool to lead others to God. These spiritual gifts were never meant to be feathers and caps. We're never meant to be higher horses than others. They are tools given by God to do something with. Or you use the example of wonderful golden tools that you don't want to scuff up in the dirt. They're useless. They're useless tools. All this is going to rot away. Whatever we got here in this building, all this will be destroyed one day. These tools given to us are spiritual tools that we can go do something with that's going to have lasting, forever kind of impact. That's good stuff. The good news of Jesus benefits from all of these gifts. Prophecy, tongues, all of them spiritual, all of them good, all of them pointing to Christ. But when it comes to seeking gifts, and it comes to, all right, I'm not going to, it's not about me, I got that, it's not a gift for me, it's a tool I'm going to use for others, and this is going to be good, we need to be very careful not to offer strange fire. Uh, I'm not going to get into it here, but maybe we can touch on it a little bit in the small groups next week or something. No, no indication we have to, but there's a passage about strange fire that always haunted me, about some people just emulating spirituality. They looked apart. They were spiritual people, by all measures, involved in the church. But they did something that looked on its face as good, but their heart was in the wrong place, and God burned them up, and that was the end of that. So when it comes to doing things as a spiritual gift, I'll caution you, I'll warn you, not to offer strange fire. Don't play the part. Don't fake spiritual gifts. Don't indicate that this is something that is spiritual when it's not. Because that God, you know, people may, not, people may not see through it. They may think, well, that's really spiritual. God knows. And it doesn't end well. I'm not saying you're going to be incinerated on sight, but it's never a good idea. So when it comes to seeking these gifts out, make sure we're seeking them for the right reasons and make sure that when it's time to use them, we're using them rightly. Not just an understanding of those gifts and then an emulation. Lastly, glorify God in everything. So if you're trying to discern what to say or do, focus on God getting the glory. I don't know what to say. I'm struggling with this. I, I want to use this gift and this, that, and the other. But how is this going to glorify God? When the chips are down, what in this is going to give glory to God? Not glory to me or glory to another person or a building or a structure or an organization on earth. If I blather on in a language that nobody knows, does that glorify God better than proclaiming the truth clearly? Is there anybody that would say, sure, it seems like it probably would. Of course not. It's kind of a hyperbolic or rhetorical question. But this is kind of what Paul's getting at. If I come up here and I hem and haw and in syllables that nobody can put together and I'm doing big things and there's incense burning and this and that, people, I say, whoa, something really crazy is happening up there. What is it? I have no idea. But if I had five words versus 10,000 of that where I could communicate clearly, I'll take them. I'll take those five words. I'm going to think about it, but you give me five and give me some time to think about it and then let me, yeah, I'll take that. This is Paul's point, and we do well to consider it. If our focus is on God's glory, we're aiming true. Will we miss? Yeah. We have a word for that. Missing the mark. Sin. Ta-da. Well, we're filled with it, so we're going to miss a lot. But we still focus in on God. We still aim on target, and we try to shoot. And we hopefully get closer and closer as the Spirit steadies our hand. And 
and our bow increases in strength and power and all these different analogies you can think of, we still aim for the glory of God. Everything we do, every spiritual gift, every step we take, every time we teach or read or preach or pray is for the glory of God, not for the building of ourselves. So what can we do? If we break it right down, ponder the work of Christ in your life. Everybody can do this. If you're an unbeliever, you're a believer, you're a member of the church, you're an enemy of the church, ponder the work of Christ in your life. Where are you? Do you not know Christ? Probably not a lot of work there. But maybe, just maybe, Christ's been moving in your life through people around you. Prioritize Scripture in your life. Oh, so close. You life. Prioritize Scripture in you life. Man, I almost... Uh, spell check's not going to catch that, is it? But prioritize Scripture. And if you're an unbel- Once again, I don't believe. I don't care. Prioritize Scripture. All right, I will. I'll prioritize Scripture to prove you wrong. I invite you to do so. <laughs> Read the Word of God. Learn it well enough to come and refute it. You'll be surprised what happens. That story often ends in the, in the, uh, th- that story often ends with, well, it turns out uh, it's true, and <laughs> I gave my life to Christ. <laughs> Funny how that works. Third, though, pray for growth in your spiritual gifts. If you're like, I don't have any spiritual gifts, hey, perfect thing to pray for. If you've got two or three, well, I'm excellent at this. Pray for growth. We're not done growing, right? You get busy living or get busy dying to quote a movie. That's what we're up to here. We are going to grow our spiritual gifts. Pray for that. Number four, present ourselves as a sacrifice using our gifts for God's glory. Sacrifice might seem like a pretty strong word. I'm not talking about coming up here and opening up veins and arteries. That's not the kind of sacrifice. But your time, your effort, your money, your strength, your well-being, your peace of mind. God may be calling us to glorify him with a gift that he's given us that may not be a picnic of standing up in front of people and putting our hands in the air and watching people fall down because they're healed. That may not be a spiritual gift at all. A lot of people want to do that, as indicated by the countless number of people that do it. But our gifts may be something vastly different. A gift of tongues in a small area. Two or three people, as we we read about. Just maybe a handful of small people that need that. Boom, we talk. That's a miracle that you said that to me. Life has changed. Awesome use of a spiritual gift. Massive glory given to God in that small setting. And then lastly, prepare for harvest like any other. I mean, it's, uh, it's a harvest that's outside of our control. We're told that the workers are few, which means we're going to be busy. And God has given us some tools, some powerful tools. So if you want to speak in tongues, awesome. Read this chapter. Pray about that. Get after it. You might find that, man, speaking in tongues doesn't seem like a big value. But I imagine I could start to learn and teach the word with authority. And I think I and Paul would both agree that, yeah, you ought to. You ought to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time uh, of study. Thank you for a word that is uh, simultaneously comforting and challenging. Lord, I thank you for passages that uh, on their face seem very clear, maybe not always what we want to hear, but are very clear, but at the same time present new mysteries. That if it's so clear about this, then what does that mean about this, this, and this? Lord, I pray that we take those ideas and we, we discuss them together as iron sharpens iron. But then also we present them to you in our prayer life, uh, we, we bring them into our mind when we begin to study the Bible, the questions that we have, knowing that the Holy Spirit's going to begin to interpret this word in a way that we could never do it on our own. And clarity will come in certain areas, and, and new unclear areas will be uh, presented to our brain. And, and what we want to do is go back to the word, not flee from the word, uh, not flee from one another, but to work together, to study together. This is the power of the church, to reach the world 
for you with good news that is in your word, Lord. Thank you for the spiritual gifts, of course, Lord, but we thank you for the precursor to that, the work that was done on the cross. We just celebrated the the birth of Christ, and we know how that story ends. He went to a cross and he died, but he overcame death. And because of his work, we now have access to a, 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 an eternity that was, it's beyond comprehension, Lord. Help us to be mindful of that as we go out and look at a world that is so lost and living for today, barely, Lord. Help us to know that what they need isn't to make ends meet right now, but it's to make ends meet eternally. And the only way those ends meet is through the work of your son. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his sacrifice. 